0: We were looking for a planet such as this, capable of supporting life so that we might colonize it. There are too many of us on Brava. All women. Women?
1: Oh, yes,
2: uh oh, Female.
0: Oh, we have a small number of men, as many as we need. The rest we kill. They consume
2: valuable food and fulfill no particular function. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're going through this iconic show from the beginning to determine what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're discussing the long-lost story, Galaxy 4, which kicked off William Hartnell's final season as the Doctor. I'm your host, and I really wasn't expecting to talk about MAGA and gender issues on an almost 60-year-old Doctor Who episode. (laughs) My co-host is Guy, a male who consumes valuable food and who, as a podcaster, fulfills no particular function. (laughs) Hello, Guy. Hello, Ron. So, it's been so long since we were doing Doctor Who. <laughs> I remember, like, in the in the middle of our Rage Against Machine season, you were like, so, we're about done now, right? <laughs> like, no, nope, we have a lot more to go. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, that was, uh, for some reason, I had thought we were wrapping up the season. We had a whole bunch of movies. So, here we
2: are, and it's been so long since our last Doctor Who season. That I've moved across the country. <laughs> We've had numerous prominent guests on our rage season, but it's finally time to get back to our bread mm-hmm. and butter. And this one is a treat for me, as I've never seen this story before. You know, I've, I've made it clear I don't like watching reconstructions where they just have like photos and the audio in the background. Yeah. So I, I don't watch those. So whenever an animated version of one of these stories comes out, it's a total revelation to me. And this one just came out. In fact, when we started this podcast a little over a year ago, we wouldn't have been able to do this story. Mm -hmm. So it's great that there's still animated versions of the old shows coming out. And it's also a sad reminder that starting now, we're going to have a whole lot of missing stories. A whole lot of this season is missing and much of the next season is missing. One of the annoying things about this is that companions are going to show up and disappear, and we're not really going to have the context of where they came from or where they went, and we're just sort of stuck with that. But at least a lot of the next season's missing stories have animated versions. They've been slower to do that for William Hartnell.
0: I'm tempted to check out one of those ones that's been reconstructed with production stills, Mm. because it looks like, at least in some cases, they had a lot of different photos taken during the mm. during the shooting. So well, uh, you I
2: should, might... and you should let me know if I should. And who knows? Maybe someday we'll do, do some of those on here. At least if it doesn't look like there's ever going to be an animated version. For example, so I actually was talking to, or um, you know, messaging a friend of the show Toby Hadoke, mm-hmm. who hey, dope. um. Hey, Doug, I know. I always get it wrong (laughs) the first time (laughs) about this because he did, uh, or at least he was the interviewer for the behind the scenes documentary for the Galaxy 4 animated release. Mm. So I just let him know, oh, hey, this is cool to see you. And, you know, I wish I hope they're going to do more. Hartnell, and based on his comments in our season two recap about the crusade, where he considered it like one of the best stories of the season, and it's not available, I said I hoped it would be c- coming out, and he thinks it's not going to, because apparently there is a box set, you know, Blu-ray of season two coming out, and it's still just photos when it comes to that story. Hmm. So there may be ones where, I don't know, maybe we go back and do them or something. We will we will see. Um, I'm also, you know, uh, no idea if if he'll be available or interested, but if Toby is, uh, would love to do, he said, by the way, that season three, what we're going into now is he loves this season. It did many interesting things. And since a lot of these stories are missing, I would love to have him do a season three recap with us like he did a season two recap Mm -hmm. where he might be able to kind of fill us in on some of what we've missed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that would suit me fine. I enjoyed having them on before. All
2: right, so uh, so context for this story, it was filmed as part of the final block of the previous season. So you know, it's quite common. The first story of the next season gets filmed in the previous season. That way, you know, it's just a little more convenient, right? When Mm -hmm. everybody takes a break and they get back, but they've already got one in the can. Yeah, and it is technically Verdi Lambert's last story as a producer. Uh, you know, she kicked all this off. I mean, she didn't conceive of the series that was Sydney, but you know, she really brought it to life and she did the Daleks over Sydney's objections. And, you know, without the Daleks, Dr. Who would not be here today, you Mm -hmm. know, probably wouldn't have gone past one season. So she's absolutely critical to the history of the show. And she wasn't fired. She just wanted to move on. You know, she wanted to do other things. She wanted to become, mm. in time, a film producer. So she mm. produced, uh, what's the name of the dingo one from Australia? The dingo Ate My Baby. Mm. Uh, that's not the name of the movie. That's mm. what everybody thinks of it is. <laughs> she produced that. She did other things. You know, she did another series that I'd really like to watch called Adam, Adamant Lives. Mm. And I got some cds of that but our dvds of that but i I wasn't able to play them you know they're and even though i have a region free player i couldn't get to play but anyway that's Hmm. a whole other story so she did a whole lot of other stuff after this now her leaving made hartnell very unhappy of course because she had convinced him to do the show and he'd already had all the original companions leave and to have the producer who brought him on leave Hmm. you know you're talking about an old guy, or at least, you know, in those times and terms, an old guy mm-hmm. who sees a thing that's working and he just wants everybody to stay and keep it working. He doesn't want oh, yeah. people leaving, you know. And so even though she's sort of credited, and this is considered her last story, Peter Purvis, who played Steven, and and so in his interview with Toby in the, in the background materials, he said, well, she commissioned the story. She had nothing to do with it. She wasn't at the initial table read. She was never part of the process. So she, re- it, yes. so even though her name is on it, she didn't really do anything
0: with it. Yeah, she'd uh, she'd already checked out. Huh? I know mm-hmm. a lot of people once they set a final leaving date, uh, they uh, they cut some corners here and there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I've never had experience with that. I have no idea what you are talking about. <laughs> uh, so, and this story has always had a mixed reception. But it's hard to evaluate that because it was entirely lost for a long time. So most people were just responding to reconstructions and the script and such, not the actual show itself. Right. So Mm -hmm. now that we have this animated version, we have a chance to evaluate it Mm -hmm. for ourselves. And, you know, Peter Purvis was not fond of this episode. In particular, he was very unhappy because he felt the character, he'd been building up this character over the last few episodes, right? Uh, You know, you have the time meddler and obviously when the chase where he showed up and and such. And his character wasn't in the script at all. And that's because when the writer wrote it, he did not know that Ian and Barbara wouldn't be in it. Mm, Yeah. So he had them in the script. So they literally just gave Peter like Barbara's lines. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, this isn't my character." And he was quite unhappy. Hmm. And I think we will see for better or for worse, especially in the first episode, some lines that were inserted to show that, "Oh, this isn't Barbara, it's it's <laughs> Stephen." And and we'll see what we think of it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. All right. Well, I uh, I don't think I've seen enough of Stephen yet to have any idea what kind of personality he has. Anyway, so I didn't notice anything.
2: I'm sure he'd be happy to hear you say that. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go into episode one, four hundred dawns.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: You know, we see a solar system of planets, and we kind of zoom into the rocky surface of one, and the TARDIS immediately appears. And in the TARDIS, we get an unusually kind of domestic scene. Vicky is cutting Steven's hair <laughs> while, while the doctor fusses about the console. You'd think maybe the TARDIS would have some kind of automatic hair cutting thing. But <laughs> <laughs> and from those background materials on the Blu-ray, where they provide all the surviving footage. So this was totally lost. And then over the years, one episode was found and then like six minutes of some other material were found, you know, over time. Hmm. So we do have some sense of what it looked like. And the, and when they did this animated version, they had those things available to them. Hmm. And one of the things that I noticed, which ultimately I think it was a good choice, is that they did not choose to, to reproduce the exact directing and shots from the material that's available. Mm -hmm. So as an example, there we, the way that we, in the live action, the way that we get revealed the haircutting is you have a shot of William Hartnell and the camera kind of rotates around him. And eventually we sort of see Vicky. And Steven in the background and she's cutting his hair. Right. Yeah. And if, if you remember back to reign of terror, and even though I think there were interesting things about the reign of terror animation, I'm also going to criticize it a lot in this one in comparison, they really were, I think, trying to replicate those things mm-hmm. and it would make for these, what was in animation, a very long shot, right? Like in that one, it, you know, if you had this moving camera shot, they probably would replicate it, and you have this moving camera shot well in animation things need to go faster and having a long moving camera shot can be very, very slow in animation. So they just chose to just, you know, have a shot of the doctor and then a shot of Vicki and Steven and not do mm-hmm. the kind of fancy thing. And of course, it's also more expensive to do that and, and that sort of thing. And that may have played into it. Um, but overall, I feel like they made choices for clarity in the animation. One of the things they did not do is even though there were a lot of close-ups in this, they didn't usually do the close-ups, which again, in Reign of Terror, they did the close-ups. And if you remember, there was this kind of weird thing where they would do a close-up of someone's face and their eyes would move, but none of the rest of their face would move. And it was kind of weird. Mm -hmm. Well, they just avoid all that. They don't do close-ups of people and they don't do like the funky eye moving and all that. So I think they did a really good job of just trying to make everything clear and read, even though the animation itself is kind of simple,
0: right? You were saying things that made me think of, uh, I'll have some comments about the animation when we, when we get to that part. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. So they check, that you know, they've landed on this planet, they check the scanner, and the doctor notices that there's no sound. Now, you know, you're inside, the TARDIS, which is on a spaceship, so I'm not quite sure why you should be able to hear sound outside, but okay. <laughs> anyway, and so, being no sound, he feels like it might be kind of an abandoned place. And all the readings are normal, which leads the doctor to wonder how a planet that's so conducive to life doesn't seem to have any. However, <laughs> the doctor feels that this means they're going to get some long-deserved, uninterrupted peace on the planet. <laughs> like, you know. Given the history of this show, that seems unlikely.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think the closest we've gotten so far was in the Romans, where they had spent a month or so. Yeah,
2: they get a month before this the show, you know, so that's true. What we see outside the TARDIS, while they're still inside, is... We see a squat little oddly organic robot come rolling along. And honestly,
0: how would you describe these robots? Actually, uh, as soon as I saw it, I, I had a thought about it. I, it made me think of a, like those champagne fountains that you see at wedding receptions. Mm-hmm. Because okay. it's it's basically four tiers. It's and kind of upside
2: one... down from that, right? You know, I mean, because anyway, well, yes. this one, I mean,
0: <laughs> I mean, it's kind of Dalek shaped in a way. You know, yes, you got yep, a wide absolutely. base and a narrow top, but uh, you've got four tiers, and each one has this metal that kind of curves down like a, you know, flying saucer or something. And and right. each tier is just a smaller version of the one below it. So it's 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 kind of neat. Yeah, it's And
2: nothing. as we'll see, they can raise up each of the tiers that they want to, and they've got little things that can come out from inside. And you're right. I mean, it is almost exactly the size and shape of a Dalek. And in a way, I feel like it was an attempt to make a Dalek that... Well, there's two things. Well, I won't say one of them because it will be a spoiler for uh, later, but, but it's an attempt to make a Dalek that makes more sense. Really? Right? Like, their appendages and things that we see are actually... Mm-hmm useful as opposed to having a plunger stuck to you, (laughs) Yeah, but I would also argue, I don't think the Daleks would be as famous as they are to this day if they didn't have those stupid plungers and stuff. I think something (laughs) about that just makes them, you know, and it makes kids feel like they can go around and be a Dalek anyway. Yeah. These, uh, I think the robots are, are
0: really well done actually. Do you know uh, the design that we see in the show? Is that is that roughly the design that was used for the actual filming?
2: Yeah, actually, it's it is very close. Oh, okay, I'll we'll see if I have one I can send you. So I texted you this picture.
0: Okay, yeah, that is pretty much the same uh, same design. Then. And you see there, it
2: can raise up and you know, et cetera, you know. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So it is pretty clever, I think. Oh, yeah. And the other thing about these robots is they make a lot of sounds, and and we may talk about this later. It was certainly something they covered a lot in the background materials, and the sounds are actually quite communicative. Each sound means something different, and you sort mm-hmm. of learn it.
0: I did notice there's one thing. It's almost like a violin stroke that it seems to play whenever one of the chumblies turns around 180 degrees. So as the... Robot rolls along, it makes this
2: constant little sound, just means kind of I'm a robot, I guess. (laughs) And then when it approaches the TARDIS, it does some booping. (laughs) And the crew hears this and they realize that whatever is outside is feeling its way around the ship and bumping into each of the walls. And they kind of figure out, and the doctor declares that it must be blind, and it's making its way by touch. So it's sort of like a Roomba. (laughs) (laughs) Then they see the robot on the scanner, and it brings out this flexible arm thing with a claw. Again, much more useful than anything a (laughs) Dalek (laughs) has. You know, a claw can actually do things. (laughs) There's a light flashing in the grip of the claw, and we hear a new sound. And Stephen guesses that it's sending some kind of message out, you know, maybe back to um, some
0: controller. Yeah, in this it almost looks like it's like a spark arcing between the two fingers of the claw. And uh, Mm. I'd be interested to see what that looked like in the actual Sure. Yeah, I didn't see
2: that. So I'm I'm guessing it looks better in the animation than whatever it there. <laughs> Probably. Now, this is a key part. You already uh uh spoiled the fact that they're called chumblies. Uh Vicky <laughs> says, Oh, she's kind of laughing, and she says it has kind of a chumbly movement because it has all these different segments, and as it moves mm-hmm. along, you know, they can kind of bounce back and forth. And she minds her waist moving back and forth. And I did, you know. Uh, I failed our listeners. I didn't try to do any research on this. So I'm not clear if the word chumbly was an actual term, maybe a furnished mm-hmm. term for, you know, like some old lady or something, you know, walking along. Yeah. But anyway, from here on out, the robots officially become known as
1: chumblies.
0: <laughs> and this, this is one of those, there's a lot of places. It really, uh, I, I was aware of it more than I was during, say the reign of terror. There, there are moments when I really would have liked to see the live actors' animation to see how mm. they handled it. Like Vicky, I would have liked to see what her chumbly movement is as opposed to the animated version. <laughs> and mm. you know, the, a lot of the doctor's acting later on. You know, a lot of places where I'd like to see mm. his face because he's he's considerably more expressive than right. than this. Animation convey. And as
2: I said, from everything I saw, they made a lot of choices in the animation. So what we're seeing absolutely does not match, mm-hmm. you know, what was done. So, yeah, it's kind of like just having a completely different director, right? <laughs> yeah. Having seen these robots, uh, the doctor realizes, you know, where previously he thought this place was abandoned. Now he realizes there must actually be highly intelligent life on the planet if they can build robots like that. So eventually the Chumbly leaves and they go outside and they see that there are three sons. So, you know, screw Star Wars and Tatooine, which had two <laughs> sons. You know, we've got three sons. There's some vegetation around. And then the Chumbly suddenly appears again and comes towards them. <laughs> and the, uh visit for kind of no reason. Uh, the doctor in this one story has this cane that he's using. And Mm -hmm. so it's a pretty nice cane. It's kind of an ornate, you know, wooden cane with, I don't know, probably a tusk handle or something. Mm -hmm. And so he pokes at the Chumbly with his cane and one of his segments rises up and a gun-like thingy pokes out. (laughs) So they decide to play it cool. And it seems like it can't talk, but the doctor is sure that he sees a speaker on it, which will become significant later. And Stephen, for some unknown reason, kind of rapidly approaches it. So it suddenly whips out that claw grip with the light. And, uh, you know, they all sort of freak out. And then eventually they realize that it wants them to follow it. And the doctor doesn't want to be ordered around. So he tells everyone to just stand still and do nothing. And the chombly goes over to some vegetation and uses the light ray from its gun to burn the vegetation down.
1: <laughs> <So Yeah>. it,
2: <laughs> it's clearly a threat. <laughs> yeah. <and laughs> saying, look, I think that's mm-hmm.
0: the rose bush that uh that Vicky was sniffing just moments earlier.
2: Yeah. So that's the, the doctor is like, okay, maybe we should do whatever it wants. <laughs> so they follow it across a desolate landscape. And this landscape this was a real challenge. You know, the designer was really ambitious and he wanted to have this planet that was truly, you know, huge and and desolate. And it just didn't work in the live stuff. And it, mm-hmm. you know, they just it, it was just them walking in front of a screen kind of stuff. And yeah. it and and he was sort of too ambitious. But they're able to fix that in the animation. So we get to see, you know, a true landscape. Mm-hmm. And then we see two women who kind of look like twins and they have big guns and they're watching from rocks high above. And they're holding some kind of net between them. And when the Chumbly goes past, they throw the net over it, which causes it to collapse down and shut down. And they introduce themselves to the crew. These are the Drobins from Planet Drava and Galaxy 4.
0: <laughs> Hence the name.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always funny. You know, Like I don't know where galaxy four would come from. Like we don't think of galaxy four. We're just in, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and one of those clearly I'm not Barbara moments, Steven comments on the uh, niceness of the women. Cause you know, these are tall, well-built women. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as uh, in the background materials, they interviewed one or two of the, of the women and they were like, yeah, they they ad the BBC advertised the hell out of this, and they were showing us with their big guns and everything. <laughs> clearly, they felt this was a selling point of this show. No, no, yeah,
0: although they are mostly human looking, but they have uh their eyebrows are shaved off or covered up, and uh, they've got these rows of dots on the yeah. So it's the you know the old Star Trek alien approach. <laughs> you yeah. get a little bit of a little bit of flim flam on there. And, It passes for an alien.
2: Right. (laughs) You know, for this show, we get a a couple, and I'll come in at least one more, of these unusual sexual comments from Stephen. And it wasn't until writing my notes for this that I realized that this was where, as I kind of referred to earlier, Peter Purvis probably insisted on lines like this so that it wouldn't sound like that he was Barbara.
0: (laughs) 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 Overcompensating.
2: Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure in the long term that it served him because I'm not sure in the, to the modern ears, you know, it's a little, uh, yeah.
0: I didn't really notice it though. So, uh, so I can't say. <laughs> well, that may say something Probably. about you. Huh? Probably. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the Dravins say, as long as the uh, control mass that they put over the robot covers it, it can't receive control waves. And they say they came to rescue the crew from the machines, and they're going to take them back to MAGA. (laughs) And once I saw this, I just cracked (laughs) it. MAGA is their leader. And the crew has questions, but they can't explain anything to the crew because all they can do is follow instructions. And their instructions are to take the crew to MAGA. (laughs) And Vicky thinks the crew should not go the Drava says, well, if you stay, more machines will come, and then they're going to take you to the Rills. And the Rills are not people. They are things that crawl and murder, and they've already killed one of us. And the doctor is convinced that maybe they should follow the Drava. And then four Chumblies appear in a very menacing fashion over the horizon, guns out, coming towards them. And the Drava attempt to get the mesh off of the disabled Chumbly, but they can't get it because it's magnetized and the Chumbly is metal, so they can't pull it off. So the Drava and the crew run and the four Chumblies surround the disabled Chumbly and then using a claw, one of them manages to remove the mesh and the uh, previously shut down Chumbly reactivates. Then the crew and the driver reach a weathered-looking spaceship. And I felt like this was really rather alien-like in feel. And mm-hmm. these spaceships, they changed them a lot in the animation. And I think they did a pretty good job here. You know, it, it does look, you know, pretty old and, and
0: interesting. Yeah, it's got this weathered, rusty look to it.
2: Yeah. So the crew get inside, and the airlock doors are closed. And then Stephen and the doctor are bantering about the quality of the spaceship, and Stephen and the doctor is trashing the spaceship. And Stephen gets in another one of these comments, saying, "While well, looking at the drama, I don't know. It still has one or two good features. <laughs> <laughs> Guess he hasn't had a date in a while." And now Maga shows up. And she is an imposing woman. (laughs) Well, the other women are in white. Of course, this is a black and white episode. Well, the other women are white. She's in black, and she has an air of authority. And the soldiers report that their mission was accomplished. They brought the prisoners, (laughs) which offends Vicky. Like, we're not prisoners. (laughs) But they lost the metal mesh. And uh, the crew now sees how scared the soldiers are of MAGA, because she is quite displeased about the mesh. And the doctor defends them, explaining the whole magnetized thing. And she tells the soldiers she'll deal with them later. And they then go to some chairs where they sit down and plug into some kind of rejuvenation thing or something. Again, very alien-like there. Mm -hmm. And Maya tells the crew that there is a war between them and the Rills. And this is a fight to the death for existence itself. One side will be obliterated. And now maybe even the crew will be obliterated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the doctor wonders if she's sort of, you know, exaggerating. And Vicky challenges her by saying, Well, you want to kill us. And Megan's reply drops some rather important info. She says, When a planet disintegrates, nothing survives. Mm -hmm. And it turns out the planet is going to explode in 14 dawns time. And they know this because the reels told them, which is why the reels are repairing their ship and preparing to escape. So Maga wants to capture the real ship because the reels shot down this ship that they're in and it cannot fly. And as Maga explains the history, we get an unusual visual flashback of what she's saying. I don't know if this was in the live action, but I know some things later were in the live action, so I think it probably was. So she says they come from Drava, another planet, and some 400 dawns ago, they were investigating this part of the galaxy, looking for a planet to colonize. As Drava is now full of people, so people need somewhere to go. And Steven asks if everyone on the planet is a woman. <laughs> Which to my favorite exchange in the story, and maybe one of my favorite exchanges in Doctor Who. She says uh, the, the thing about, oh, we kill most of our men because they consume valuable food and serve no particular function. <laughs> and she says her soldiers are not human. They are cultivated in test tubes. Unlike them, Maga is a living being, while the soldiers are products and inferior ones at that, grown to fight and kill. Hmm. And she tells the story about how the real ship showed up, fired on them, and they crashed. And we see this happening, and as done in the animation, at least to me, this is a clear reference to the opening shot of the first Star Wars film, right? Because mm. you have the small spaceship and the large one behind it shooting at it and 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 knocking it out, and it's just it's very Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it didn't, didn't
0: occur to me, but could uh, be a fair point.
2: And she says, you know, after being fired upon, they fired back at the reels, and the reels also crashed. And then after everyone had crashed, the reels killed one of the Drava soldiers on the ground. When asked what the reels are like, she the only thing she'll say is they are disgusting. She refused to say anything else. And then one of the soldiers announces that a machine is approaching. You know, it's a chumbly. And MAGA commands that the outside radio be switched off, and the doctor is confused, and she explains that they send these machines to tell them lies, and she doesn't want them heard. It's bad for her soldiers. (laughs) Misinformation. (laughs) You know, between MAGA and gender and misinformation, you know, (laughs) this story really predicted the future, and she tells him to fire at the Chumbly, and it collapses inward for a second. Because one of the cool things that happens, right, when the, when the Chumbly's are fully extended, and then something happens, they'll sort of collapse down. It's a pretty cool thing. Mm. And so it collapses down, but then it comes back to life <laughs> and leaves. And the doctor kind of makes fun of her for the fact that she wasn't actually able to hurt it. And the doctor says it seems like she's underestimating the Rills. Why would they have let her know that the planet is going to explode if they're so bad? And she says they were just temp- trying to tempt her into having her people come onto the real spaceship so they could all be killed. And Stephen points out, well, it seems like they were offering help. <laughs> and Vicki says, you know, they may have been telling the truth. But then the doctor kind of reverses position and says, well, they could also just be lying and the planet will be here for another million years. <laughs> He says he can find out. He's a scientist. And when he says the scientist, Maga really kind of lights up. She clearly really respects scientists. Hmm. And the doctor says he'll go back to his ship and figure out whether the planet is exploding. But Maga insists that he leaves one person behind, not as a prisoner, but because <laughs> she'd hate to see them all killed by the machines. <laughs> so she's really looking out for them. She's got a
0: heart <laughs> of gold, that one.
2: So Vicky stays behind. And next, we immediately see the Doctor and Steven at the TARDIS, and there are a bunch of chumblies around it. One of them tries to drill into it, which, you know, isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. And back on the Drava ship, Vicky pretends to sleep while Maga lectures the soldiers. She's really angry about them losing the mesh, says that they must want all of them to be captured, and she gets quite graphic about this. If
1: we lose to the Rills, it will be because of you. You want that, do you? You want to be captured by those creeping, revolting green monsters?
2: You want their slimy claws to close about your necks? You fools. You fools. And actually, I think that actress did a really good job. Unfortunately, she died just a few years after this, and she was pretty young. Oh, wow. Back at the TARDIS, a Chumbly tries firing a laser gun at the TARDIS, but that doesn't work either. So the Chumbly's give up and leave. And this is, I love this about the doctor, right? He's just so arrogantly pleased at how he's excelled himself with the force fields he created for the TARDIS. And he goes on and on about it. And Steven's just like, yes, doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Inside the TARDIS, the doctor is looking at the star map machine thingy. We've seen it a couple times, at least in the web planet. Mm -hmm. And Steven asks if the planet is going to explode. And this is a pretty good sequence. The doctor says, the rails were quite right. It's imperative that we leave it once. And Stephen says, why? They did say we have 14 dawns. And the doctor puts up two fingers and says, two dawns. Tomorrow is the last day this planet will ever see. (laughs) End of the episode. (laughs) And our next episode is Trap
0: of Steel. Mm. Well, we'll start off with a A recap of the last episode's cliffhanger. There are only two dawns left. We see a bunch of planets lined up next to each other, which I believe is called a harmonic convergence. (laughs) We never, I don't think we ever get an explanation of why the planet is exploding, but the way these planets are lined up, it's probably just being torn apart by gravity. Do you remember? This must have been...
2: 35 or more years ago there was this point where all the planets in our solar system were basically going to be lined up and there was this theory that we were all going to (laughs) die
0: that was the harmonic convergence i think it was in the 80s if i remember right I, i remember uh for some reason uh probably because i always thought carrie fisher was cute but i remember her going on to a late night talk show, maybe David Letterman, and uh, talking about the harmonic convergence. (laughs) Well, thankfully, we survived. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we uh, got through the end of the Mayan calendar, too, so we're (laughs) doing all right, I guess. So on the TARDIS monitor, the doctor and Steve see a Chumbly approaching the TARDIS, but what they don't see, because it's out of the range or the view area of the monitor— they don't see the Chumbly plant a bomb at the door of the TARDIS. Well the bomb goes off just just as Steve and the doctor realize that the wires the robot's holding must be for some sinister purpose. You know, they 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 make an exclamation like they just realized something and then then we hear the <laughs> hear the explosion and the ship rumbles and it the vibration knocks over the doctor, but otherwise there's no damage done uh either to the TARDIS or to him. And the doctor says, I think Guy Fox must have been resurrected. <laughs> <laughs> Which- Please refer back
2: to our <laughs> V for Vendetta episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also, I don't really know what this was about based on what we find out later about the Chumblies and the Reels. I don't I don't know why they would put a it doesn't fit in maybe there's something i'm missing
0: yeah yeah it it might have just been scientific curiosity <laughs> but the chumbleys leave after that apparently they've exhausted their bag of tricks for the moment back on maga's ship vicky and maga are sharing a plate of unappetizing leaves and branches. Actually, it looks like MAGA is having all of them. Vicki declined. As
2: we'll find out, though, this is the fancy food that only the leader gets.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was wondering if, if this is the actual, you know, the military-issued food supply, or if this is stuff she had to go out and harvest after the food ran out. Because uh, there is vegetation on the planet. So yeah. I yeah. don't know. Vicky worries that a uh, Chumbly will catch the doctor and Stephen, but uh, Maga says they're much too worried about Vicky to get caught, hmm. which uh, could suggest that maybe that's why she kept Vicky here. Then mm-hmm. Maga promises that if they aren't back soon, well, Vicky wants to go out and look for them. Then Maga says we will look for them if they are hmm. if they aren't back soon. The doctor and Stephen return. Before they go into the ship, they remark to each other about the age and the poor materials of the ship. Uh, They're just not impressed with it at all. And they could be making some uh, chauvinist commentary on the all-female society there. (laughs) They knock, and they're admitted. And these airlock doors in the animation uh, it's interesting. They're very big, heavy doors, and they mm-hmm. they swing out like the doors in your household. You know, they're not like sliding into the wall or anything. But the animations for when these doors open, it looks like mm-hmm. these are actually 3D renderings. It's not like, uh, it's slightly different from the rest of the animation. Um, mm-hmm. It's not bad. It's just noticeably different. It's kind of neat. The doctor says they got held up by a Chumbly, Chumbly and uh, points out that the bombs that it used uh, would have blown up this ship easily. And he confirms that the planet is doomed in 14 dawns, which was what he went to the TARDIS to figure out. And, of course, that's not exactly what he figured out. Mm. but He's playing his cards close to his best for the moment. Yep. So Maga, bad mouse, the real some more. She calls them murderous and the evil. The doctor says she, she wants the doctor to wipe him out. The doctor can't help her, he says. He never kills anything.
2: Yeah, by his definition,
0: anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's always a loophole. <laughs> so the companions wonder if MAGA was possibly just dazed from the crash and might have misunderstood what happened to the soldier that died. Uh, and, and she says, you two doubt my word. Uh, so apparently her word is very, uh, very valuable and trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And she insists on being helped. She says, this is your last chance. And the doctor just says, oh, very likely. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of those moments that I would have enjoyed seeing the actual mm-hmm. live acting. <laughs> so she starts to threaten the doctor with her pistol. It's a special pistol, the leader's pistol. The, the, the soldiers, their guns look. They're longer, like rifles, mm-hmm. and uh, there, it's an interesting, it's very large, yeah, yeah. It's an interesting design. At the probably the the last four inches or so of the barrel is actually like a clear plastic box around the barrel, which so it's, uh, it's an interesting design. It's kind of neat, but when Maga starts uh, waving the leader's pistol around, Steve leaps into action. But it turns out that Maga overpowers him relatively quickly, you know, 10, 15 seconds, something. Uh, and then she holds him up. I'd like to know if this was done in the TV show. I kind of mm-hmm. doubt it. Uh, she holds him up by his throat, you know, with his feet off the ground, like uh, like that first scene with uh, Darth Vader in Star Wars, yeah. which which is actually right after the thing you were talking about, where the destroyer is chasing the little frigate.
2: Yep. We definitely, you know, it's funny. I have never, I've read a whole lot about the development of Star Wars. I've never seen any reference to Doctor Who. Mm -hmm. But as we've talked about in some of these episodes, there are so many things in Doctor Who that come before Star Wars. And so many people who worked on Doctor Who worked Mm -hmm. on Star Wars. It's just hard not to imagine Oh but yeah, some of this stuff bled over you know
0: yeah yeah i, I remember uh way back when commenting that the original dalek base uh reminded me of the uh of the death star mm-hmm. yeah but there's there's been a lot of instances like that so i can't help think that there was some influence somewhere
2: Yeah, it may not have been on George Lucas. It may have been on the people who were working on it because he filmed Mm -hmm. Star Wars in England. Right.
0: I I heard that at least a lot of it was, yeah. Yeah. So he gets held by the throat for a little bit. She releases him, and the doctor says, a very good attempt, my boy. Never mind. (laughs) Maga restates the situation with the 14 dawns till the planet blows up. And then she says, it is 14, isn't it? She seems to sense that the doctor's lying, and she presses him for a little bit, and finally he admits that it's just too.
2: Yeah, you know, a little note here. I learned this from someone who used to work for me, which is when you understand a concept and agree with the concept, you blink. So if someone says something to you, you blink.
1: Yeah.
2: And so when she says something, it is fourteen, isn't it? That would typically occur, and you wouldn't even know this consciously, but you would realize it, because the person you're talking to did not blink. So you're like, oh, it's 14, and they did not blink. Ah, and that yeah. tells you they don't actually, you know, understand or agree with that. And that's what yeah, it would cause know. anyway. So here you go. Ah, <laughs> A little, yeah, little
0: psychological to, tip there. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to have to keep my eyes open for that one. Yeah. <laughs> So he admits that it's two dawns, not uh, not 14. Maga tells the doctor he will capture the real ship for her, and she's not giving him a choice. So he says he'll go out and check it out. Steve insists on being the one left behind this time. The doctor, he's in a hurry to get going, and he <laughs> he, he indicates the closed airlock door that leads outside, and he says... Madam, do I begin by walking through this? Hmm? <laughs> he wants her to open the damn door. Mm-hmm. Maga says to Steve after they've left, she says, either they succeed or we all die together, which we'd pretty well established uh, at this point. There seem to me to be a lot of padding moments in these episodes, <laughs> even by Doctor Who's standards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I, I actually... Well, I'll save my my, my verdict for the uh, for the okay. worth watching part, but um, yeah, I'll just well, move okay. on. <laughs> outside the Draven ship. The doctor's leaving, uh, getting ready to go to the real ship. He wonders how long the nights are here. Uh, you know, with the three suns and all, <laughs> it, they must be not too long. And he guesses two hours. Mm-hmm. And this makes makes me wonder, at least. Uh, how did he calculate that the destruction was two dawns away? If he didn't even know the length <laughs> of the planet's day-night cycle, eh, I don't think you understand science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just a just a layman. <laughs> <laughs> so the doctor notes uh, that the Chumbly ray guns could easily cut through Maga's ship, and he wonders why they haven't yet. He says, it's all very odd, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'd say, Did
2: was there a particular point in here where you felt like Maga's story might not be true? Was it from the very beginning or did it take a while?
0: <laughs> I think pretty early on. It seems really? like in the first episode, there were one or two things mm-hmm. that kind of cast her account into into doubt. So, yeah, I was pretty suspicious of her from very early on.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, and obviously, the fact that the entire crew is questioning her makes that, you know, more easy. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, there have been times in the past where they bought into things, but yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. This, this time, uh, this time they, uh, they, they got, uh, got suspicious real quick. In my inside MAGA ship, she's out of the room now and uh, out of the main central room. Steve grabs a ray gun from one of the soldiers who is the only one paying attention to him at the moment. And uh, and it turns out not to work. It m- might be the only soldier. I think maybe the other two are on patrol. Or
2: yeah, something. but the, the not working thing really confuses me because I thought, okay, maybe if it wasn't one of them genetically or something using it, it wouldn't work but later on he wields the gun and they are all worried about it getting shot. So I I don't understand what was going on here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not certain. I know later on they talk about the charges in the guns and one needs to be recharged, but I don't think one of them was just out of juice because when they read off the amount of charge in their guns, they're mm-hmm. like 393 and 387 and 386. And then Like the one that says 386. She's like, You got to charge that immediately.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I just, I didn't understand what was happening here. Yeah.
0: For whatever reason, the gun doesn't work. (laughs) Hmm. So then he asks for food, and the soldier offers him a handful of pills. He doesn't like that much. And it turns out that the Dravan leaders get the good food and the good guns. And, right. and the good food is leaves, right? Yeah. So they get all the good stuff, which uh, is often how it happens down here on Earth, too.
2: Well, as Mel Brooks said, it's good to be the king.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the soldier isn't resentful. In fact, she doesn't even seem to know the word fair, you know, because uh, Steve says that's not exactly fair, or something to that effect, and and she doesn't know what he's talking about. The concept is alien to her. Mm-hmm. So Steve makes some progress convincing this soldier that if she borrowed Maga's gun, she could destroy the Chumblies, and Maga would be pleased. And it's, uh you know, for... Maga has a point that the soldiers can't think very well. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they they seem to have emotions and do some thinking, but they they're not bright. So as Steve's uh, trying to sell his little line of bull, Maga walks in on them, and she uh, she berates the soldier because she fell for Steve's slick patter. <laughs> so. Mugga tries to sweet-talk him. Uh, She even holds a—you know, they're sitting across the table from one another now, and and she reaches out and grabs his hand. So uh, apparently there are still enough men left on her planet that uh, she knows how to cloud their (laughs) minds. She uh, tries to sweet-talk him into rescuing her with the TARDIS. He sees two problems, one that she might kill him because he was a waste of food— and uh, the other is that he can't operate the TARDIS. Only the doctor can do that. So she is upset with him. She orders him to go over to the little bed on the side of the room and just stay there. And the soldier asks Maga, why don't we just kill him now? She says, I will let you kill him, and I'm good and ready. <laughs> Outside, we see uh, from a high place, Vicky and the doctor are watching some chumblies, they're patrolling a narrow canyon below them. The doctor has a strategy that he suggests to Vicky. He says, observe, note, collate, conclude. <laughs> and this reminded me of a phrase that I only heard within the last 20 or so years, I guess. It's called OODA, which is a military, primarily a military term. It's used in business and other applications now. But but, uh, it stands for Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. And I was wondering if there was some connection. So I looked it up, and uh, the Observe, Orient, Decide, Act was coined by a Colonel John Boyd. He was a U.S. fighter pilot, and he coined this in the 1950s. So this could very well be some kind of adaptation of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, especially with the uh, Britain and the U.S., uh, their militaries have worked pretty closely together, at least in the 20th century. Before that, it was kind of shaky. So I'm thinking this observe, note, collate, conclude that the doctor has is maybe may a variation on
1: that. Mm-hmm.
0: Anyway, I just thought it was kind of neat. <laughs> So Vicki takes the initiative without asking the doctor's advice. She throws a big rock down into the canyon, and it falls behind one of the patrolling Chumbleys. The doctor's upset, but it turns out that Vicki has demonstrated the Chumbleys can only hear things in front of them. They're like the fields of vision in a video game, you know. Stealthy. Yeah, and
2: I think it's at this some point where I think she says, "I observed and oriented and decide or collated." And, I'm yeah, sorry. she throws the she doctor. Says, yeah, she says, "I observed, I noted, I collated, I concluded." So, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, she throws it back at him. Oh, well, she did. She did switch the first two words. She put noted before observed. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah you got to get the order right here. You Anyway, uh, the doctor grudgingly allows that she did okay this time. So they go down into the canyon, and they they walk behind a chumbly, and it it the animated. It might have been this this way in the live show too, but it struck me funny because not only are they walking behind the chumbly, which should be safe if it can't hear behind it, but they're walking about a yard behind a chumbly. So I mean, you'd think you know. They kick a rock or something by accident. It's going <laughs> to spin around and start doing its thing. But, oh, well, they they seem to be doing well so far. Back in Maga's ship, Steve is sleeping on his little bed in the side of the room. And Maga's drilling the soldiers. Uh She tells them to make sure their guns are fully charged. I think this is that part I was talking about earlier. So that that actually could be the reason it didn't work for him, although... Mm. Maybe, maybe when it goes from 387 to 386, there's a safety cutoff or something. <laughs> I don't
2: know. Well, what I will say though, in terms of the story, they just didn't communicate it. Like the gun just didn't work and we don't know why.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not the most crucial mystery of the whole <laughs> series here, but uh, yeah, it's a little detail that's interesting. Meanwhile, Vicky and the Doctor, they finally reach the real ship. And it's, uh, you know, especially as Doctor Who special effects go, it's not bad. It's a great big black pyramid. Um, Pretty good design, I think.
2: Well, and here I'm going to say the animation really, really made this way better than the (laughs) reality. Oh, yeah. uh, Eventually, I'll send you some pictures here and you can see what what they were actually dealing with, but yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. So they they took the opportunity to uh, leaven it up a little.
2: Yeah, what it basically comes down to is this, what they actually did was mm-hmm. web planet level stuff. It was just a series of pipes and plastic sheets. <laughs> and what mm. we see in the animation is this amazing building, which is really well-designed. Very reminiscent of the Daleks compound in that first Dalek mm-hmm. episode.
0: Yeah, you know, the exterior is—it's um, very well. It's a big black pyramid. I mean, it's got some designs. I think it might have like three lines converging in the center, or you know, there's there's some little details here and there. But basically, it's a big black pyramid. I tend to prefer the more elaborate spaceships like the star wars or alien or you know that kind of thing but uh you know for for what it is it's uh it's pretty good and the entrance to the ship is a very small chumbly sized tunnel outside the entrance as they're approaching it they see there's a drilling rig and there's some kind of machine that seems to be processing air maybe converting it into something else that's I would not be able to get that from just a quick glance at it, but that's why I'm not the doctor, I guess. <laughs> so a Chumbly comes out and is suspicious of them for a moment, but they hold still, and eventually it moves on. So that that ate up a nice 20 seconds or so of it. <laughs> <laughs> and inside, the small Chumbly-sized hall leads to a taller one, uh, presumably for the rills. And they both get a hint of a familiar smell, but neither of them can place it just yet. More Chumblies pass by going down the hall, and uh, another one seems to suspect them. Then it moves on. So, you know, that sort of builds up the suspense or eats up the time or both. And then they uh, come to a big room with instruments and controls on the wall. And it turns out this is basically the ship's bridge. Mm-hmm. And the doctor admires the ship's construction. He makes an interest interesting to me remark that uh he's very impressed that you can't scratch the metal. And uh yeah, and I think he says, Oh, this is great spaceship material. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, not being able to scratch the metal. It really just depends on what you're trying to scratch the metal with.
1: <laughs>
0: so, I guess I'll give him the benefit of the doubt and assume he was using something really, really hard.
1: Well,
2: you know, coming from the mega ship, which is kind of falling apart. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. By contrast, this is a uh, this is uh, the Ritz of spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vicky finally recognizes the smell they've been smelling uh, as ammonia they find a niche in the wall it seems to be a chumbly repair station maybe a charging station but there's a chumbly just sitting in there quietly they tap on it and it it lifts up one of its tears just briefly and then relaxes again like it's uh you know it's taken a nap and doesn't want to be disturbed
2: yeah and they wonder if it's like a baby chumbly you know, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah and when they turn away from this station, Vicky screams pretty loudly uh, because what she sees is a little window that's looking into another part of the ship, and pressed up against this window is a scary-looking, sharp-fanged, lamprey mouth. Which uh, the the cartoon, you know, it, it uh, a, a good modern special effects artist could make this look a lot more scary. But uh you know it's you can tell that it's supposed to be something nasty at least.
2: <laughs> well, so in general, I really like this animation, but this was a total point of confusion for me. I could barely see what they were talking about, right? I mean yeah. the window in front of it was totally clouded. It I it wasn't clear to me why she'd be screaming. I couldn't really tell what she was seeing. Yeah, to me, this was not a good execution. <laughs> the animation. Yeah, you know.
0: I mean, if you were, if you just weren't expecting something like that or, you know, just cut a glimpse of it for whatever reason It it might look like just sort of a donut pressed up against a window. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that could have been made more, uh, obviously. Scary. Well,
2: I'm a low carb person. So a donut pressed up against the window would be pretty scary. You <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> So that's, uh, that's the end of this episode. The, our cliffhanger this time is there's some kind of thing with a lamprey mouth. <laughs> Next
2: up is the episode Airlock. <laughs> All right, so we transition from the apparently scary image to a chumbly going down a hole. And the doctor and Vicki freak out and run around, but are ignored by the chumblies that they come across. Then the doctor runs outside, and Vicky gets trapped behind a gate.
0: Yeah, the the timing seemed suspicious on this. I mean, it's like these portcullis bars that come down, and Vicky's like one step behind the doctor, but she gets trapped, and he doesn't.
2: So here's where I want to reference an animation change to this. So I texted you actually a little bit ago the image of the live action with the gate,
0: Oh, let me uh check it out here. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, this is interesting. This is a much more complicated than I did in the animation. <laughs> well, but
2: as Peter Fervis says in the background material, she could have escaped through any of these holes, right? Because like, <laughs> it's just a bunch of pipes, you know, intersecting and with huge space between them. Mm-hmm. And nice. so they this is a case where they fixed it in the animation, right? By having an actual gate that comes down. Yeah. Where in the live action, it was just this completely porous, very open set of pipes
0: that come down. Yeah. I mean, they're it, they're these... It's it's a grid of equilateral triangles. So, I mean, they're big enough and she's slender enough that, that she could wriggle through one, probably. But, yeah, the, the portcullis that we see in the animation is very narrow, so it's a lot more
2: Yeah, it makes a lot more sense, similar. right? Yeah, yeah. so I, I think they made a good choice there. So the doctor then sees a machine, which he immediately presumes is for creating ammonia gas you know, which is what the Rills need, mm-hmm. and he decides if he sabotages the machine, they'll let Vicky go, and he just sort of argues with him for a bit about this, but He's very set on this path. Mm -hmm. Then we switch to the Drava ship, and the soldiers want to go on patrol. Because, you know, the soldiers are very robotic, and they go on patrol at this time every day, so they want to go on patrol. But Maga refuses to let them. And then she does a little speech about how dumb the soldiers are, which, you know, isn't exactly their fault. I mean, they were grown from a test tube, you know, and... (laughs) have their programming so she tells them instead to guard the prisoner steven because his friends want to help him and there's a really interesting sequence here actually quite like this where the guards are confused about why someone would help a friend yeah
0: or, um, or be willing to die for a friend i think is what really uh perplexed them yeah and of course that that reminded me of that quote it's, it's from the bible it's one of jesus's greatest hits i guess you'd say it's uh you know um greater love hath no man than to give his life for his friend something to that effect so i mean that <laughs> to to the british of the 1960s that was sort of the air they breathed almost mm-hmm. you know. yeah, but i uh, not on uh not on the planet drama, i guess <laughs> So Maga then schemes about
2: how they don't really have to kill either the TARDIS crew or the reels, but instead they can just steal their spaceship and leave all of them on the planet to die. And then she goes into kind of a very specific and graphic fantasy about the image of the planet exploding while knowing they have died. (laughs) And... One of the soldier says, but we won't have seen them die. And she's like, well, but I have the intelligence to imagine it.
0: (laughs) She really seems to be savoring this uh, little fantasy. uh,
2: Yeah, she really wants to see this happen. (laughs) And ironically, maybe exactly the opposite is going to happen. I don't want to spoil it.
0: (laughs) Some elements of the fantasy may come true. We'll see.
2: (laughs) So Maga now sends one soldier out to look for the crew. Another soldier guards Stephen, and she says he's sleeping. And Maga tells her not to sleep or move while guarding him. So the soldier stands there. And here's a little interesting difference where the animation made a different choice. So in the live action, the soldier is sitting in a chair. Mm-hmm. But in the animation, she's standing. So, as we'll see later, as she's falling asleep, she's standing up, falling asleep, which doesn't really make sense. <laughs> it makes much more sense that while she's sitting in a chair, that she would fall asleep. My guess is that they didn't have an animation of the soldiers sitting in a chair and it <laughs> would have been extra cost and hassle to do it. That's just my guess. I don't know. Could be. Yeah. Because it didn't, it just didn't really make sense that she, fall asleep while she was standing up without
0: falling over. Yeah, that's anyway, yeah, the doily in explanation.
2: Yeah. <laughs> in the real ship, Vicky is being escorted by Chumblies and they reach an end point and one keeps bumping into her and she's very annoyed and she tells it to stop doing that. And she wants to know, what do you, you guys want to know anyway? And then we have this pretty funny bit where her words are taken and speeded up and distorted, and then they converge into a new voice, which is the real voice.
0: It seems to me uh, like it's calibrating some kind of translation uh, yeah. machine, which, you know, gets back to the still unanswered question of how, how do they just speak the language of whoever they run into throughout time and space.
2: yeah uh, we talked about this before technically the TARDIS translates everything it doesn't really work so let's just not ask that question (laughs) yeah some questions should not be asked (laughs) (laughs) when the new voice is a real and he's speaking through the speakers and the chumblies she can see a small clouded window like when she freaked out where there's a little you know suction cup or something of the (laughs) room yeah and she explains the whole situation they're in. And they came to capture the spaceship for the Draven's. The real is confused because he says, Well, but we offered to take them with us. And Vicky says, Well, they never told us that. <laughs> Not that we ever had any suspicions of MAGA's story. <laughs> and Vicky then challenges the real, saying, Well, you did kill one of the Draven, but the Real denies it. And also the reel tells her they don't want to reveal themselves because they don't want to shock the humans with their appearance. Yeah. And now we get sort of the equivalent flashback story from the reels about what happened in which they say they encountered the Draven ship in space and they stopped because they didn't want to provoke them. The Draven ships also stopped and the two were facing each other For four dawns, so...
0: And there's no mention of any ship-to-ship communication that might have transpired (laughs) in this period. They just stared at each other for four days, basically.
2: Yeah, true. Good point. So the reels finally got tired of it, and they turned their ship to leave, and then the Dravarden fired on them. The reels fired back, and both crashed. So now we have Magas version of the story, the Reel's version of the story, you will have to make up your own mind <laughs> how it <laughs> happened. And now we see a flashback, and I know this did happen in live action, so so I think maybe the earlier flashbacks also did happen in live action. So after crashing, the reels set out to help the Dravins and they came across a wounded soldier, and they started to help her, and then Maga appeared And she shot at the rills to scare them away. And then she shot the soldier. Mm. And here's one of those really interesting little changes between live action and the animation. Because we have the live action shot of this scene. In the live action, she uses one of the really big guns that, you know, the soldiers have to kill Mm -hmm. the soldier. In the animation, she uses a small gun that she has. Yeah. And this is a case where I'm going to say, I think the animation made the right choice, right? Because they've kind of established the small gun is her gun.
0: Right. The leader gun.
2: Yeah. So there was no real reason to have her use the large gun. So I think that was probably a good choice. Yeah. Makes sense. So the real now says they'll help Vicky rescue her friend Steven, you know, from the Draven spaceship. And then... As they're talking, when Vicky understands that the Reels can only breathe ammonia, she remembers that the doctor is out there sabotaging the ammonia (laughs) machine, and she runs to stop him. And we go back to the driving ship. The guard is falling asleep on her feet. Steven gets up, gets behind her, puts his hand over her mouth, the scenes to knock her out, it doesn't make really any sense because, like, what it, it, two seconds and she just falls to the floor and is unconscious. So, you know, but you know, yeah, that's very, the classic movie or TV show thing of you know, the karate chopper, whatever. That, yeah,
0: uh, yeah, pinch a nerve or whatever. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> that was the famous thing from Star Trek, right? Right, because,
0: Vulcan uh, uh, nerve, pinch yeah, the character.
2: whole the Vulcan thing came or a nerve pinch came about because he was just like, I don't want to fight these people or whatever. So I'm just going (laughs) to do this.
0: Good good plan. I like that.
2: (laughs) So Steven opens the first airlock, grabs a gun. MAGA comes out and one with one of the soldiers confronts him He closes the door between him and the internal spaceship and he opens the outside door and goes out, but there's a Chumbly there and he's scared of them because he doesn't know what we've learned from Vicky's experience. So he gets back in the airlock and closes the door. And now he's trapped between a Maga and a Chumbly. And I think someone wrote a song about this once. (laughs) Vicky then reaches the doctor, you know, who's trying to sabotage the ammonia production for the reels, and she's able to do this because the reels open that gate for her, and she introduces the doctor to the reel through the Chumbly speaker, and the reel then invites him in to talk. The doctor is skeptical. He says, "We could come in, and you could kill us." And Vicky reminds him the Chumblys could have already killed them if that's what they wanted to do. So the doctor agrees and they go in and one tumbly sees behind and the doctor's like, Well, what's he doing? And the real says he's fixing the damage that you did. <laughs> so it sounded
0: yeah. sounded just a touch peevish there. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> and so with some discussion, it turns out the Rills are drilling for resources to power their ships so they can get off the planet before it explodes. And the doctor lets them know that their estimate is wrong and they only have two dawns. And this makes the real very upset because, you know, they haven't been finding what they want when they drill. And there is no chance that they're going to have enough resources to leave in two dawns. Yeah.
0: Now, I would be interested. It would have been neat to my uh occasionally analytical mind if they had had a little argument over whose calculation was correct, you know, what, <laughs> you know, what evidence do you have for that? And so on. But,
2: yeah, that's true. And we never understand why they had the wrong number. Yeah. But the doctor says he may be able to supply them with that power and he's willing to help them since they've been willing to help the crew. And the doctor explains what he needs. And then they're interrupted by a child lady with an emergency message, and it turns out their friend, Stephen, at the Draven ship, appears to be in trouble. Vicky immediately wants to go help him, but the doctor says, look, Stephen can take care of himself. We need to deal with this. So, you know, we'll see whether it's <laughs> a good call or not. Yeah. Back at the Draven ship, Maga is speaking to Stephen through a radio because he's in the airlock. Yeah,
0: through the intercom, I think.
2: And she says, if he drops his gun, he'll be freed, which, you know, for some reason he doesn't believe. (laughs) He also says, well, you can't harm me in here. And then very reasonably, she points out they can just evacuate all the oxygen from the airlock and suffocate him. And she immediately proceeds to do that. (laughs) Back at the real ship they'd made progress on setting things up as the doctor needs. And then they're interrupted again by Chumbly, letting them know that Stephen is now making distress noises. And the doctor realizes they do actually need to help Stephen. And the real send they're going to send two chimbleys with him. And he's like, well, what can they do? And they're like, well, they can cut open the ship if necessary. You know, mm-hmm. they do have these laser guns. Yeah. And the doctor and Vicky are running to the ship, and then the Drobin soldier that was sent out to find them stops them. And she wants to know why they have the enemy machines with them. And the doctor says they're going to help her and Mega and the rest get to the real spaceship. And Vicky says they've captured these machines and the machines will do whatever they're told. And then she tells them to move around in various ways and they do to prove it. And then Vicky and the doctor surprise the soldier and wrestle the gun out of her hand. And she now wants them to kill her since she's failed her duty. Meanwhile, Stephen is in the airlock. He's barely breathing. Maga is taunting him. And he decides, you know what? I'd rather face the Chumblies than you. So he wants to go outside. But when he presses the button to open the outer door, it doesn't work. And Maga reminds him, since the pressure has been removed, the door won't work.
0: Yeah, which would have have been a good thing to point out when she was laying out the three choices, probably.
2: (laughs) And she says... You must surrender or die. And he falls to the floor, and it's the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Next up, The Exploding Planet.
0: (laughs) So we start off again with a recap of the last cliffhanger. The outer door of the airlock won't open now because the pressure has dropped. But fortunately, the doctor and Vicky and two... Chumbly's coming with them. They're on the way to Maga's ship. They're taking that soldier, marching her at gunpoint. Inside the ship, uh, Maga's ship, we see the gas begins pouring into the ship for a vent, and there's there's no apparent reason that we've seen yet, but gas is coming in through a vent. Outside, the Chumbly uses one of his rays to... Sever the seal on the outer door very easily. It's just a moment's work. Steve walks out. He looks beat. He looks. Uh, he looks like a man who's been suffocating to death without any help. Maga and the two soldiers now they come out of the ship and they join the third soldier who uh, is no longer a hostage. A Chumbly is going to stay here to watch the ship when the doctor's crew leaves uh, because with the chumblies around. Manga uh, doesn't really do dare to do much, except watch the doctor go with his buddies. And uh, the rill that we've been hearing in the in the other ship, uh, he speaks on the Chumbly speaker to Manga. He says, we will always defend our friends. And uh, she gives kind of a contemptuous laugh when he says friends. Not a virtue that's inculcated on then we find out, thanks to the Rill's monologue, that the, the gas was an ammonia bomb from a Chumbly, the gas that chased them out of the ship. But the gas should be cleared out now, so the Rill orders them to go back into the ship. Back in the ship, Maga says to the soldiers, no Draven is defeated until dead. So she's, uh, she's persistent, if nothing else. Hey. And night is coming. Her plan is that there's a forward hatch that leads out of the ship. A soldier has to crawl out through that and destroy the Chumbly Guard, which now up to this point, this is sort of a minor Hmm. detail, I think, because up to this point, we had no inclination that they knew how to defeat the Chumblies in any way except with that magnetic Hmm. net. But apparently, they know some other way, or are, are going to try it. In the control room or the bridge in the real ship, uh, the doctors planning to run a long cable from the TARDIS to this ship, mm. uh, and Steve will stay here while the doctor and Vicky go to the TARDIS to hook up the cable. So while they're while they're gone, Steve looks around the bridge, checks out the instruments. He seems skeptical of the real's motives. he offers a hypothetical situation what if the time runs out the planet's about to blow up and the ship hasn't gotten charged enough would the doctor be free to go in that event the real says of course he says the doctor travels further than we can and everything he has shown he stands for is what we believe (laughs) so i mean that's the real has uh, has developed a pretty comprehensive view of the doctor's own beliefs in a short mm. time. But if it's good enough for the real, it's good enough for me, I guess. So now Steve is convinced also that the real are genuinely in their corner. Uh, but he worries now that MAGA is going to get desperate well, with the impending explosion of the planet. So that's a concern for him. Meanwhile, we see the Doctor and Vicky and the Chumbly. They're all at the TARDIS, and the the cable gets hooked up. And now the Doctor says he thinks the nights are four hours. Before he thought they were two hours, but now he thinks they're four hours. In the Maga ship, they detect a rumbling, and that's the first sign of the planet's upcoming explosion. Outside the ship, the soldier who crawled out sneaks up behind a chumley. It chumbly it's been patrolling back and forth and every time i mentioned this earlier every time it turns around to patrol the other direction you hear this little or i don't remember if it's going up or down but it's this very distinctive violin sound you know what we said earlier about the chumblies having signature tones for their different actions Mm -hmm. really comes out this and they, uh, they pad it out. I mean, this is like uh, <laughs> the guy gets a good bit of patrolling in before the soldier makes her move. Yeah,
2: I'm shocked that you would say there's padding in doctor here, but okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so the soldier sneaks up behind it finally and whacks it with a baton on the head. And that is enough to incapacitated now Mm. it may be the 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 Chumbly does have some kind of antenna array or something on its on the top of its top dome there so maybe she whacked that maybe that was a weak spot or something (laughs) I, i don't know but whatever she did it incapacitated the Chumbly. but we do see a little antenna emerge from it which uh will Soon enough, we'll see that it's using that to send a message back home. Although here, too, this could be an inconsistency because before it was using its claw to send the radio messages. So, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's go with it, I guess. The Dr. and Vicky, uh return to the Rill ship, and the Rill issues an order to his surviving crew for full intake. <laughs> and uh, the Rill gets a radio report, the Chumbly outside the Maga ship has been taken out, but the real assures the doctor that the Chumbly guarding the TARDIS will be fine. Steve points out that it isn't the TARDIS the Draven want. Yeah. Maga and her soldiers are now outside their ship. They're standing next to the smoking Chumbly. Whatever the soldier did to it made it uh, release some dark smoke. And Maga says they're going to attack the real ship. And back at that ship, Steve is concerned that Maga will spot this long cable going from the TARDIS to the Rill ship, Mm -hmm. and she'll destroy it. But the Rill says he's prepared for that. Further, the Rill estimates there's another two hours of charging left. One of Maga's soldiers now enters the bridge and holds a gun on everyone, but not for very long because a Chumbly shoots her. Uh, she collapses to the floor, but the real says she's just paralyzed so she's she's fine she's just mm-hmm. taking a nap and The doctor meanwhile had gone into a side room, and now he comes to the doorway of it, and he tells everyone to come in. The real says they may enter, but they should be prepared for a shock for those who are going to watch the show. I'll just say you don't really need to prepare for much of a shot. <laughs> but, yeah, I uh, I think if if one of them was having a reasonable dialogue with me and then I saw its true form, I <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a good guy. Mm-hmm. So Maga and the two remaining soldiers have made it to a cliff overlooking the real pyramid ship. Chumbly's emerge from it and they're they're way down below. They're they're a good distance away. I don't know exactly how far away, but I'd guess at least 50 yards. But from her vantage point, Manga decides the best course of action would be just to start a firefight. <laughs> so she she shoots at them and they shoot back and it's on. And both sides are absolutely terrible shots. Sure. Even come in the ballpark. So the doctor and his group—they're now in a room of glass pyramids that are filled with ammonia gas and aliens. The real okay. get to see them face to face. In the animation, they're not terribly scary. I mean, they're definitely not human, but they're essentially—if you—if you picture Jabba the Hut from Star Wars—that uh, uh, was my image also. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Basically that, but where their eyes should be, they have these fanged, lamprey mouths instead, which is a little disturbing. But uh, yeah, they're not, uh, you know, for for sophisticated people of twentieth, twenty first century Earth, uh, the the real, they're uh, we we've seen plenty worse than that in, in the theater. The real and the crew, they spend they don't spend a lot of time, but but they briefly discuss how uh doctor who and his crew can can live with the way the real look and uh they discuss how the dravian hate the real for their looks Uh, and the doctor says what's important is character he says further we respect you as we respect all life which i uh i think i would have cut it off after we respect you because otherwise (laughs) he's just sort of you know, diminishing the. <laughs> and we respect you just like we respect everyone else. <laughs> mm-hmm. And at this point, the ammonia in the room, even though the, it's mostly in, in these glass tanks, mm-hmm. uh, it's starting to overwhelm Vicki. So the humans leave the gas room. The doctor says now they have about one hour left for charging and about one and a half hours <laughs> for the explosion of the planet. plenty
2: of time (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i got some leeway there outside the firefight is still raging and inside the charging is complete so uh i guess it was a long firefight the doctor and the crew take their leave of the rill the rill will provide a chumbly as an escort back to the tardis
2: yeah and he says that afterwards the chumbly will shut itself down and be destroyed and that's okay Right, they're a little worried about that, but that's just you know it's a robot. So, we're... oh
0: yeah, yeah, Vicky Vicky's horrified at it, but uh, but the real explains you yeah, know that it's a robot. The doctor <laughs> backs him up, so mm-hmm. it all works out. Although uh, now that I think of it, uh, that could have been a fun thing to have as a companion on the ship. You know, they'd have this Chumbly always roaming around.
2: Well, that is, you know, I was thinking about that, and I feel like. They put this in there because they wanted to explain why it wasn't going to be a companion. Mm. There will be points in the future where things like this become companions. But yeah, oh okay, yeah. But yeah, there's no reason it couldn't just come with them. I mean, why not, right? Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. They might not have the right adapters on the TARDIS or something. <laughs>
2: In the future, USB is outdated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So as the doctor and his crew leave the rail ship, uh, that paralyzed soldier is still lying there in the bridge. So it looks like she's going to an ammonia planet. Uh, (laughs) But I guess it's better than uh, some other possibilities she could run. (laughs) And Stephen says, we've got less than half an hour. So Maga, up on a cliff, She hears the ship firing up its engines, and it takes off. But she sees the doctor and company headed for the TARDIS, so she gives chase. And one soldier, the Chumbly, takes out right away with its paralyzed ray. So now it's the Draven contingent is down to Malga and one soldier. The doctor and his crew get into the TARDIS. They fire it up as the earth starts shaking. We hear that pull start lawnmower sound as the TARDIS does its thing, gets wound up to do its dimensional travel and spatial and time, all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> the Chumbly falls into one of these magma filled cracks, and the last soldier falls into another.
2: It, yeah, and I was going to say, I think in the live action, I have no idea what they were showing, but it couldn't have looked nearly as cool as what they're doing in the animation. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah they would have really had to exert themselves to uh, come close to the spectacle. I mean, know, yeah, it's not mind-blowing, but we do actually see the earth cracking with yeah. magma underneath it. Yeah, it's not... Not the sort of special effect you see on, uh, at least in the past two seasons of Doctor Who. So, <laughs> so we see Maga now alone and terrified, perhaps even realizing the irony of her uh, speech that she gave about looking forward to watching the real destroyed. And we see a close up of her then. And we see her face for a moment, then we see it move off to the side and down because she's fallen backward. And as Maga falls backward, magma splashes upward. (laughs) And uh, that's all we see of her. Back in the TARDIS, there's a planet on the monitor now, and it's not the planet we've been on. Uh, they, They all missed seeing the final destruction of the planet because as soon as they bugged out, they were already in the new place.
1: Yeah,
2: which calls back to, you know, where Mog was like, Oh, we're gonna watch the planet explode and we're gonna know everybody died. And they didn't actually get that experience, right? So that's kind of interesting.
0: Right. Now manga did get to see the planet's destruction firsthand.
2: Yes, yes, <laughs> but but the people watching the planet
0: didn't didn't Good know laugh. that. <laughs> yeah. So Vicky and the doctor, they're looking at the monitor, and the doctor uh, he says something briefly about uh, how he could use use a break, you know, not be surrounded by all these dangers all the time. <laughs> so, yeah, there, I, I, I could see that being enjoyable as a change of pace, you know, but uh, I doubt that we're going to get that because yeah. when they wonder what's going on on the new planet, we zoom in on the planet, and then we see a man. He's lying on the ground in a jungle. And he wakes up, uh, looks like he has a terrible headache. He's wearing a uniform. It's just a normal-looking human. But he's got this uniform with a badge that says DSF. And he looks at his arm, and in the middle section of his arm, between his wrist and elbow, probably a good six or eight inches long, he seems to have some kind of glowing, veiny infection there doesn't look healthy whatever it is Mm. and he says i remember now must kill must kill and that's the end of the episode
2: as i mentioned you know this and mixed reviews of it many people felt it was a relatively minor story what do you think
0: i i enjoyed it i wouldn't say uh i wouldn't say it was brilliant or anything like that but uh it was fun, and uh, I mean, there was some obvious padding in it, which, you know, I, I'm growing to not object to the padding because <laughs> it means I have to spend less time taking notes. <laughs> see,
1: you
2: see, you have a perverse incentive.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Overall, I enjoyed it. I, it was worth watching for me. I, it's not one of the ones where I'd say, "Come sit down and watch this. You got to see this." Right. Uh but yeah. but it had its good points. I, I liked I kept waiting to see some redeeming feature of MAGA, and she just kept being a relentless bitch throughout <laughs> the whole thing.
2: Yeah, I would say, I don't think it's a great story, but I think it's actually pretty good when you look at it. The writer's idea was that the beautiful women would be evil. And the ugly aliens would be good, right? That was basically the
0: concept. Uh, <laughs> the old switcher rule. Right.
2: Yeah, I, that's pretty simple. Yeah. But it's all about execution. And I feel like the execution here really works, right? Because mm-hmm. the actresses pull this off, and the woman who played Mago really pulled it off.
0: Yeah, well, for of the acting, we only get the voice acting, obviously. Yes. The animators, did they they did well. I mean, I know we'll get to the animation specifically. Um, I, I've already said that I would have liked, if we couldn't get the live-action performances, I would have at least liked a little more fidelity to what their performances might right. have been. Because we've seen right. enough of art and all that, you can at least make an educated guess (laughs) what he's going to look like in a given situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the time I just didn't get the feeling that they'd really put in the Mm -hmm. extra ounce of work, you know? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yeah. I would say from the voice performances, we can say they did a really good job. Mm -hmm. And also the, there is complexity here, even though, Honestly, so I feel like the actors, like the actress who played Maga, add in some complexity that the writer didn't necessarily.
0: Yeah, you know, Maga had that her scene of gloating. And I remember, <laughs> you know, I, I only saw that episode once because that was yours. But, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but I remember thinking when I saw that scene where she was just really, uh, really getting into her imagery of uh of the planet blowing up and watching the real die and all that i mean uh she she really seemed like she was gloating i mean it was that was convincing
2: <laughs> yeah and you do have this bizarre contradiction they could all live there's no reason they can't all live oh yeah except that MAGA won't let them all live
0: Right, right. She just it, it it seems to boil down to nothing more than she hates the way they look. I mean, that's the only real <laughs> yeah. reason she has against them.
1: Yeah,
2: you know, okay. And seems she like even <laughs> she
0: <laughs> she even shot first when they were up in up in orbit, it turned out. Yeah. 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 So yeah, she's just She made some bad decisions. (laughs) Bad call, Ripley. As we say,
2: mistakes were made. (laughs) We don't want to blame any particular person. (laughs) Mistakes were made. So we talked, you know, a bunch about it, but the animation obviously is critical because we're watching this because it's animated. So what's your general reaction to the animation, and especially compared to things we've seen in previous episodes?
0: Yeah, well, uh, I've already gone into my longing to see how the actual actors would have done it, so I won't rehash that. I noticed that compared to Reign of Terror, I mean, the facial resemblances weren't spot on in Reign of Terror, but, but they're just way off the map to me and this one now now granted in the case of steven i haven't seen enough of him to i, I mean i wouldn't recognize him mm-hmm. if he walked up and grabbed my nose
1: but
0: uh, <laughs> you know the vicky resemblance was once in a while it was good other times it was i mean you could you know it was it was good enough that among the other characters you know which one was her but uh, but i thought that could have been better and Hartnell, you know in Reign of Terror, they had kind of a creepy, bright-eyed Hartnell, but at least he was mostly recognizable as Hartnell. And this one is just more, to me, it looked more like generic old man. There wasn't anything that was super Hartnell-esque. You know? mm. So, yeah, that was a little bit of a mess. But the animation overall... I liked the style of it very much. It was just a few minutes into the first episode that I there was some little movement that that it reminded me of something. And it didn't take me long to realize it reminded me of the animation for Archer. Um mm-hmm. uh, it's it's I think the frame rate may be a little lower in this. Yeah, you because know, Archer, I think these days has a fairly decent budget. But Archer has a style that you have the people drawn with these very clean, crisp line drawings. You know, they're cartoony, but also realistic cartoons. Uh, and then in the background, you have often very detailed backdrops uh, that are almost mm. like paintings. Um, and this style reminds me very much of that, both in in that contrast between the Klee lines People and the detail in the background, and also just certain things about the way that the people were animated, and I can't, I can't really describe it well. But I, you know, just like some of the hand gestures they would make and things like that, it 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 almost seemed like it might have been the same animators from Archer at moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, and I love the style of Archer, so I I was pretty (laughs) fond of the style of this as well.
2: What I think is really the best thing about what they did was they fixed the backgrounds and the spaceships and everything, right? So, Mm. especially the rail spaceship really feels like a spaceship and has a lot of similarities Mm -hmm. to the Dalek thing that we saw in the first dollar story right Mm -hmm. and when you look at the production photographs and see that the real spaceship was just some pipes (laughs) and plastic (laughs) (laughs) the animation is so much more compelling oh yeah for that
0: although even i i don't know what the bridge was designed like in the live action but uh like if you see the instrumentation on the wall in the bridge it's all very 1960s style, so I don't know if they imitated the show hmm. precisely or they just decided, well, we'll put together something that would have been plausible for a Doctor Who episode right. in season three. But it looks—it it doesn't look egregious, you know. It's uh, and
2: it, even the Draven ship, I feel like they did a really good job with because it made it, as we said, very kind of an alien-esque, very weathered, uh-huh. broken-down ship. It's better than it was in the live action, yeah. so <laughs> I think they did a good job,
0: yeah. But on the, that stuff, the first time I saw it, it almost looked like it might be a log cabin. Uh, you know, it's got these six spines coming up on the outside of it, but other than that, it looked just sort of like a big dark hut, you know, like it when you, when you see it for a while, you realize it's not wood planks. It's like old rusty metal or something, but, uh, mm-hmm. but it, yeah, it, it's very, uh, very memorable. So uh, it was well done. I thought,
2: I think, um, story wise, you know, they do have the whole writer's concept of reversing the good guys and bad guys by making mm-hmm. the bad guys be beautiful women and the good guys be ugly aliens. I think that's not as impactful in our time now as it might have been then.
0: Yeah, not not nearly as big a uh an inversion nowadays, I think. You know, it reminds me of uh the early 1950s EC had its various lines of comics and one of them was science fiction or you know they had a few different science fiction themed comics. Um But in one of their stories, they had a story where there's like the first astronaut to set foot on this new, newly discovered world, you know, and he steps off the spaceship. And this is like a full four or six page story where he's, but you never see the astronaut until the last panel or you see him in his suit. Then the last panel, he takes off his helmet and it's a black guy. And for, you know, early 50s, it was like, ah, yeah. it's <laughs> futuristic, you know, and nowadays, it's like, ah, okay, so good for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, so we come to the ultimate question Is this story worth watching for a modern audience?
0: Yeah, I, uh, I mean, like I said, it's, it's worth watching for just a fun thing to watch. It's not, A must-see. That's my (laughs) version. So it's not a (laughs) must-watch.
2: Yeah. No, I agree. And I think between the kind of gender questions and other things, yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff going on there. And I think that probably Doctor Who fandom, not being able to watch the animated version up until recently, has... Underappreciated the story. Mm-hmm. Now, I will also say, I don't think it's a great first episode of a season. I mean, you want the first episode of a season to really kick things off with a bang. Yeah. And I don't think this really does that, but I think it's worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately we're not going to see that story because <laughs> <laughs> it is missing
0: uh, well there may be a reconstruction of it with photos I might see if I can check that yeah, out I'd like yeah. to do that Uh, well what was their first season that was just what was it Marco Polo and the Crusades mm. was that uh, there? so far there haven't been too Crusades
2: many Crusades was season 2 but yeah. oh okay
0: so maybe, maybe I'll try one or both of those and if I like those mm. then maybe I'll Try it for this season too. I don't know. It's uh, I, I I could see myself. I mean, it wouldn't be much much different than listening to a radio play.
1: Yeah, yeah. But okay. We'll, Maybe
2: you can talk me into it. Maybe we'll start <laughs> including these. And in-
0: well, I'll I'll do some scouting. I'll let you know how the land lies. Okay. You fool.